In episode 14 of Authors on the Line, we met Rosaria Champagne Butterfield. Her testimony is a startling one, from the darkness of living in homosexual sin and hostility towards God, to a life of freedom in Christ. Rosaria is now married to Kent Butterfield, a pastor, and they live in Durham, North Carolina, with their four children. In this second podcast with Rosaria, I want to look more closely at the missional potential of simple hospitality. You may remember from the previous podcast that one of the hinge points in her testimony was Ken Smith, the pastor of a local church who sort of broke into her life and invited Rosaria into his home. It was this friendship and the hospitality of Ken and his wife that really became key in Rosaria's conversion story. Rosaria calls hospitality ground zero in reaching out to the gay and lesbian neighbors in our communities and who are very unlikely to walk into our churches on a Sunday morning. In the last podcast, she said, quote, fellowship is having your church friends over, and that's great, but hospitality is inviting the stranger in, end quote. It's worth exploring this more, and to begin this second podcast with her, I ask Rosaria to begin with a definition of hospitality and to share the importance of hospitality in the home. Well, hospitality is a biblical command, and hospitality, by definition, means meeting the stranger at the gate which I didn't know until my husband Kent preached on this. I really thought hospitality meant having folks over, you know, which which we do plenty of. Hospitality means meeting the stranger and bringing the stranger in. And that, that is huge. You know, think about it. Many of us know our neighbors because of those helpful window decals. You know, we we don't return their dog to them anymore. We just know they have a dog because they have a window decal with a little, you know, thing with a tail that's, that's wagging. It, it, we've, we have to go and be intentional about inviting our neighbors into our life and, and, and not because we have designs on them. I know that Ken Smith was praying for me, and I know the church was praying for me. And right now I'm very thankful for this. But at the time, that made me feel very uncomfortable. And, and, and the only reason that in some ways I could get around that is that Ken made it clear that we were going to be friends no matter what. He, he didn't spend two weeks sharing the gospel and then when it was clear I wasn't responding, move on to the next person. Because I was his neighbor and because Ken knew that God never gets the address wrong, we were going to be friends for life you know, whether I like it or not in some ways. And, and, and I think that is a model for me. And I think it is a, it, 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 it is an, an exposition of the scriptural command. And it wasn't just me. I, I, I saw that the, the doors of, of that house and the doors of, um, of Ken's heart opened wide and, 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 uh, Kent and I have, have tried to, um, to manifest that as well. So the first thing is to not be content with just having your Christian friends over. The second is to not think that every conversation that um, you have is going to pollute you or your children. Maybe the third is to stop making idols out of our children or our homeschooling curriculum. And, uh, you know, and, and of course, we all go, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm guilty of doing that as well. Um, but to remember that this is a mission field we were blessed to have missionaries come to our church last night and share with us um, their life in, in South Sudan, where their five-year-old and three-year-olds have heard about things like bride prices and prostitution. And uh, you know, and why do we think? Why do I think that just because I pay taxes on a house in Durham, North Carolina, I don't have to have these conversations? 
And, and why do I think that my children will somehow be better off if they are not exposed to some of these more challenging things? We have spent, I have spent years as a university professor and now years as a pastor's wife, sometimes with a focus on a college ministry. And I have yet to meet a college-aged covenantal child saying, boy, you know, I wish my parents had protected me a little more. I, I really wish that they had just not exposed me to these challenging things. Instead, our adult children raised in the covenant would probably love to know that they could go home and talk to you about anything. And that if, 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 if your son or daughter walked through the door and said, mom, dad, uh, you know, sit down. I have been struggling with feelings my whole life and I've never told you, but I know you're safe to tell because I remember that you really loved the lesbians next door and you prayed for them. And, and we will always had, you know, 4th of July together and we took care of their pets when they went on vacation. And, you know, I, I know you're safe. Hospitality is important and it raises those uncomfortable questions. Um, let's talk about, the local church, a very ordinary local church that wants to reach out, but they're intimidated by this entire topic. I mean, they know that homosexuality is a sin. They also want to be open and welcoming to the gay and lesbian community, but they just don't know how to practically make the church a welcoming place. From your perspective, what would you say to a church that's asking this question? Uh, well, it, it struck me that, first of all, people weren't afraid of me. It, it, it People immediately, you know, I... At first, I rejected the friendship of the church because I was really felt just t totally awkward. <laughs> you know? I don't know what else to say. Um, but, um, you know, people were, were hospitable. They were welcoming. But what also struck me is that when I would ask hard questions, and I would do that a lot, no one dropped down dead. You know, when I went around and said, okay, Ken preached today and the Gospel of Luke that said that we are to take up our cross daily, and when I went around and said, what's your cross? No one said, oh, I'm sorry, that's just too personal. You know, and nobody said, oh, you know, it's my math curriculum. You know, people actually on, you know, answered my question. <laughs> and they shared with me their, some of their deep, dark secrets. And, and, and maybe they wouldn't have done that had they not felt sympathy of the fact that through no, no real um, initiation of my own, my deep, dark secrets were all out there for the world to see. So perhaps they decided that they would match my risk because of course the Christian life is a risky life. And, and I, I, I really, you know, we, we, we pray for safety more than we need to. Uh, we all in our flesh want safety, but I, I'm, I'm not quite sure that's the highest. Th th I don't see that as one of the fruit of the spirit. And, and so people weren't, weren't um, squeamish with me when I would really, you know, corner somebody and say, okay, abortion is a sin, but the, you know, um, death penalty isn't. Why is that? Spill it out for me. Nobody ran. <laughs> and that was important. That's really important. It seems like a big part of your conversion story is that you, as a lesbian, were being called to give up pretty much everything that you knew. And you were seeing Christians who had, in fact, counted the cost of following Christ and, and were living lives that required sacrifice. How important was seeing Christians who had given up their lives for Christ and in, in, in your conversion story of being called to do the same? Yeah, that, that was 
that was huge. And, and I was also introduced to missionaries who were risking everything. And um, that, was, that was huge because it, it, it made me feel less alone. It, you know, it is a profound lack of courtesy and kindness when as a, as a Bible-believing Christian, you ask someone else to give up more than you've given up. And I don't mean here that we should start to rank order our personal experiences. That's not what I mean. But um, the Bible is meant to interrogate our lives, not the other way around. And if you, as a you know, if you Christian, want people in the gay and lesbian community to to grasp hold of that hermeneutic, then you must be practicing that daily. And so I think the first thing that any church can do to be welcoming is to do that, it is to really do that, to, to not be satisfied with biblical literacy, you know, literacy where you simply spell out the phonetics of a passage, but to really reach for biblical fluency. It, it really struck me early on that... Um, some of the Christians that I had had contact with would use the Bible to end the conversation. And, and that's very much the way that the Bible's used at a gay pride march. At a gay pride march or before a Planned Parenthood rally, you know, and I'm a bit of an expert at those things. <laughs> I can, you know, uh, I can share a little bit about the hermeneutic of the Bible in those contexts. Um, you know, it's, it's very much just meant to shut you up, not meant to initiate and launch and galvanize your life and redeem your heart and and reimplot your your values. All it's meant to do is shut you up, sort of like a punctuation mark. Pick your favorite one. Period. You know, question mark. Um, and so, as Christians, we have to be mindful that that's not how God. That's not the the use of the Bible. That's not how the Bible was intended to be used. That's very helpful. Is there anything else you would want local churches to understand and to think about regarding the value of hospitality? Um, one of the hardest days during the week for any either new Christian or seeking Christian or somebody just walking in from the streets is the Lord's Day. It's a day of huge, huge temptation. I cannot explain why, but, uh, you know, my those moments that I would never want to talk about on a podcast would always happen on a Sunday, on a Lord's Day. It's just, it's just, ah, it's agonizing, especially if you're single or you're, you're trying to separate from one community and you're now in another, um, you know, and, and there's a, the, the famous verse about temptation, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man and God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it. Christian, you are the way of escape. Your house is a way of escape for somebody. Open it. It does not matter that there's cat hair on the couch. It does not matter that all you can serve right now is macaroni and cheese or cereal. It absolutely does not matter. Your home on the Lord's Day is the way of escape. And if your door is closed, someone will not perhaps be able to fully execute the power 
in that passage. We've kind of made this transition, and uh, I, I mean, I just want to ask you straight up: What are some of the things that local churches do that make you want to pull your hair out? I mean, what what are churches doing poorly in reaching out to the gay and lesbian community? Uh, one thing that we can all do as Christians is to stop thinking we have to hold the line. We have to stop thinking that you know, oh, I want to be friends with my gay and lesbian neighbors, but I need to be true to God. Uh, you know, where do I draw the line? I hear that all the time. Where do I draw the line? Well, you, you, you love your neighbor. You, you love your neighbor, and, and you accept your neighbor right where your neighbor is. If your neighbor says, I'm, you know, she's gay, then she's gay. You know, you, and that's it. You don't argue with that. And, and you don't, um, so that's the first thing, is to just make, you know, Ken Smith always would say, there's, I'm making Rosaria, I'm making a distinction with you, um, there's a difference between acceptance and approval. I accept you, I don't approve you. You know, and that's fine. I had a whole, you know, university of approving people. I didn't need one more. So, you know, to, so to just, you know, not be afraid to accept people where they are. The, the other is to know in a vital way the inspiration and authority of Scripture sufficiently that you really do live it out. And that you are very careful that in your own heart and your own parenting that you are not using the Bible as a placard, that you aren't replicating the experience that someone has of the gay pride march where the, you know, the Leviticus verse is up there, you know, there it is. Um, so to make sure that you have a deeper, more fluent use of, of Scripture, um, to not be afraid to be real friends. And I think sometimes we have this fear when we're making friends with people in the gay and lesbian community. And I've heard this before, this, I don't want, I don't want, you know, so-and-so to feel misused when, when she finds out what I really think. Well, surely you don't have to, you don't tell everybody in the whole world what you really think all the time anyway, right? Can you imagine if, if you went to every single person in your church right now, and shared every thought that was on your mind about that person. You'd have, you know, really quite challenging relationships with people now, wouldn't you? So, you know, a certain amount of, of minding your manners and guarding your words is, is not hypocrisy, right? And, 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 and I think it, it would be hugely helpful for us to know a little bit about these revisionist scriptural movements, to just know enough about them so that we can see where some of the pitfalls are. Because likely someone will come to you with an essay that was written, you know, by a well-known Bible scholar with all the letters behind the name that says you can have Christ and your girlfriend too. And so I think it would help to be able to, to be willing and able to read through that. Is there anything else you would want pastors or churches to know, anything that you would want to say corporately to the church, like uh, you, with things that the church can do in areas of public communication or, or in sermons? Oh, boy. As a pastor's wife, I will never carry with that question of sermons, sir. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no. You know, what, 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 I will say, um, what I will say is this. Do not look at heterosexuality as the solution to homosexuality. Um, please know that, that, that um, baby showers and, and weddings are the places where Christians absolutely look ridiculous to the watching world. And I still have twitches around these things. I really do. 
that my my story that the story the journey that the Lord put me on it um, did not end with marrying a man. It didn't end there. It ends with how I function as a Christian. God promises complete healing. Sometimes this side of heaven, sometimes that side of heaven. You may have people who struggle a very long time. You may have people who struggle differently with different issues. My struggle was more around gender. Lord, how can someone like me be a godly woman? Different people have different issues, and so do not be proscriptive with the use of sexuality. That was Unlikely Convert Rosaria Champagne Butterfield, author of the new book, The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert, published by Crown and Covenant in 2012. This was the second of two podcasts we recorded with her from her office in Durham, North Carolina. Thank you for listening to this Authors on the Line podcast. This free podcast is supported, produced, and distributed by Desiring God in Minneapolis. You can subscribe and find a full archive of episodes by searching for Authors on the Line in the iTunes store or watch for new episodes online at desiringgod.org forward slash blog. I'm your host, Tony Ranke. Thanks for listening.